2: Welcome, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners, to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius, the official energy drink of PewterReport.com. It is day two for Pewter Report at the NFL Combine. Yesterday was focused and centered around speaking with General Manager Jason Light and Head Coach Todd Bowles. Today, we got to talk to some of the prospects. A lot of Bucks imprints all over the place, whether it was edge rusher, linebacker, or defensive line. Those were all the positions that spoke today at the podium. And as the week goes on, there will be more and more positions that we all uh, get to communicate with, which will be a lot of fun and uh, very cool to get through. But our focus today, as you see on the title it is the Bucks focus on edge rushers. That was the big news yesterday, obviously, with them cutting Shaq Barrett. And we'll see where they land with an edge rusher this upcoming draft. I'm your host, Matt Matera. Joined with me starting off the show is my fellow colleague from pewterreport.com, Josh Capo. We will have a rotating cast as well, like we did on yesterday's show. But Josh, how you doing, oh, man?
1: I'm doing well, Matt. I'm um, doing really well. First combine, so I was really excited to kind of get in there yesterday and today and kind of see how things work and get to talk to all sorts of people from obviously yesterday we would talk to the team. Yeah. Um, and then today getting to start to talk to some of these draft prospects, get to know them a little bit better, find out who's been talking to the books and, uh, and start to get a little bit of a better picture of what the draft may look like in, uh, what over one month's time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What are you saying? I, I can't understand you. Okay. Um, There we go. So um, a lot of good stuff that came out from today. A couple of formal meetings with uh, edge rushers specifically. But Josh, before we talk about kind of some of the guys that they met with, uh, just the overall outlook of outside linebacker with the Buccaneers, what they have currently at the moment and how much that can change from now until I guess the end of next season and looking at the the year after too.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously with Shaq Barrett's release yesterday, the Bucks lack a true alpha number one edge rusher. Yeah. And that's gotta be what they look to improve. Uh, Todd Bolst spoke kind of um, quite a bit about how the team needs to improve their four-man pass rush. Mm-hmm. He felt like the team was able to get a decent pass rush when he would have he would bring the blitz five or more rushers, and that really bared out in the in the statistics. I think um, with a blitz, the team was able to get pressure about forty percent of the time last year. Yeah, uh, under a four-man rush, I think it was more like twenty-seven percent of the time, and that's a stark difference. And if you're constantly sending more than four guys, you're leaving the back end of the the um, the field open to be exploited. And that did happen from time to time throughout the 2023 season. JTS. Isn't that guy? Anthony Nelson's not that Mm -hmm. guy. Maybe Yaya Diaby can be that guy in time. I personally don't think that's quite his ceiling. I think he can be a quality number two. And he obviously had a great rookie season. Um, Marquise Watts showed some juice and very, very limited reps. And, and uh, what was interesting was Jason light talked quite a bit about um, Jose Ramirez, who, Never even saw the field last year, but played a lot uh, with the team on their practice squad. But out of those guys, I don't see anybody who's that true alpha one. So the team needs to find that. Could they find it in this draft? Picking 26 overall, there are some guys that I like. There's definitely projection there, right? It's not a slam dunk when you're picking twenty-sixth overall. But it certainly could be a position that they target at the end of the first round.
2: By the way, Peter people, we will be doing a roll call today at 420 right around that time. So stay tuned for that. But Josh, I, I'm absolutely with you uh, as much as we love Yaya Diaby. Um, he's more of, I think, the the Robin to a Batman right. <laughs> type of uh, pass rusher. Uh, and that that's not a bad thing by any means. I mean, we saw the dynamic duo that won the Super Bowl with Shaq Barrett and JPP. And if uh, if... Yaya Diaby has to play that secondary role at, at outside linebacker. Uh, there's still plenty of room for everybody to thrive in right. Todd Bowles' type of defense. Um, this is a video that we didn't play from yesterday's podcast that we'll play right now. of Bowles kind of sharing some of his frustration with the lack of production from a uh, four-man pass rush. So, by default, he had to blitz Antoine Winfield Jr. all the time. But that kind of worked out for Antoine.
3: Obviously, Yaya uh, had a great game for we, um, we're looking forward, forward to him taking up even uh, bigger stuff next year. But we have some young guys Marquise Watts, spots. Jose Ramirez, who well, was awesome for us in practice all year. Um, we talked to the tackles about um, how good he was, how good of a look, you know, team player he was, but he was actually giving them trouble most of the year, which was a good thing. It's not speaking bad, poorly on them, but that's good like jose was good, so i'm very excited about that we have got anthony Nelson, obviously um we do have a good young group there obviously we're always trying to add that i was frustrated with the four-man pressure the pressure that we give when we go five or more is outstanding now we missed some but we fell off of them but the four-man pressure at times was a little stale and had too much time to throw the football and that stands with a lot of big plays as well as the second well to be so, fair Tom, you don't have miles garrett and Khalil Mack, and the Boses. Uh, so you uh, you, you got to be inventive a little bit. This game is not fair. You always have to be inventive. <laughs> you, you always have to be inventive, but you don't want to pressure all the time. You want to be just as dangerous with a four-man rush than you do with five or more. So we want to shore that part of it up, and some of it was getting out of our pass rush lane Some of it, we were max protecting with everybody in there. Some of it, we got to cover better in the back end, but. The four man pressure has got to be better. The pressure we create, we can get to. And I'm very confident in that at all times. But we got to be better at four man. But- well, the good thing is all of them played. You know, we don't have anybody that's going to play for the first time. Even Watts played some snaps. Yaya played a ton of snaps. Joe played a ton of snaps. Nelson played a ton of snaps. Uh, Cam played a ton of snaps. So we got guys that played always looking for pass rushes, You never turn them down, but we're confident in the guys we have
2: we'll talk more about edge rusher and outside linebacker in just a moment. But we have a super chat from Mark Fisher, aka Redfish, and you know our rule: pewter people, you super chat us. Doesn't really matter what the topic is; we get to it as soon as we possibly can. <clears throat> so thank you, Redfish, for the nine ninety nine super chat. Who says uh, Bowles may still be on the warm seat, and without Baker and Evans, he's set to fail. How much influence does he have on personnel? Do they follow him, uh, listen, but do their own thing, or what? What do you know about that dynamic? And then he follows up with the $1.99 Super Chat dynamic between Bowles, Glazers, and Jason Light. Well, obviously, there's fluidity and continuity uh, with the discussions for really every single player. Now, obviously, you're going to see Todd Bowles bang the table a little bit more for defensive players, because you have to remember, Todd comes from that defensive background, being the defensive coordinator for the Bucs and then getting that head coaching job. So does he have his eye on, you know, safeties and edge rushers and defensive linemen a little bit more than the offensive line or really any other offensive position? Yeah, I would say so to a degree. But Balls also was very articulate yesterday when talking about the tight end room and how they can improve as blockers overall. And you know, how we want to see a better run game, because I can promise you this, Todd Bowles is not happy that the Bucs um, were once again dead last in the run game and, and rushing yards per game last season for two years in a row. So there's always going to be those discussions, and it's no different than any other team, really, where the GM might fight for a guy, the head coach might fight uh, for a guy, and that's kind of why I asked Jason Light as well yesterday when he was up at the at the big podium about how vocal Liam Cohen has been because obviously Cohen's going to be running the show on the offensive side very much like how Dave Canales um, ran the show for the Bucks offense last season and Todd was one of the first guys to say or when he was asked about it that you know, I'm going to let the offensive coordinator run his system and do his thing. Will I have input in certain places? Yes, but I'm not going to, you know, baby him and hold his hand the, the whole time and I think that's kind of important to let his coaches, whether it's the OC, whether it's the positional coach on defense, to kind of let them breathe a little bit and and, and craft things in their own way. So Todd's not going to have no say at all uh, on offense, but, you know, Liam Cohen's opinion on certain players may hold a little more value specifically at, say, running back or wide receiver versus how Todd views an outside linebacker.
1: Yeah, and I think overall when you hear this staff talk, when you hear Jason Light talk, when you hear Todd Bowles talk, you almost never hear them speak out of step from each other when yeah. you talk about, and I'll kind of take it to a different perspective when they're talking about which internal free agents they want to resign the ones that they're vocal about. They both talked about the same guys. They both didn't talk about the same guys. Unless yeah. <laughs> prompted. Um, and I think that's very telling. So you can tell that this brain trust is basically on the same page. Um, and then I think that goes back to Jason light light over the course of his tenure, has really proven that he wants to work with his head coach to deliver players that will be successful within that that coach's system and within those coordinator systems. He's a very collaborative general manager when it comes to personnel decisions and making sure that he's giving the the ingredients – for that coach to be successful. So I think that there's a good cohesion there overall, especially when it comes to personnel decisions.
2: Absolutely. So uh, let's get back to outside linebacker. And we'll talk about D-line and um, the linebackers as well who spoke at the combine today. But the official list of formal interviews and informal interviews with the Buccaneers, you can check this all out. On PeterReport.com as well, but there were some players that had formal interviews with the Bucks and confirmed by us asking them. <laughs> um, UCLA edge rusher Leatu Latu still kind of working on perfectly pronouncing his name. A couple of Penn State edge rushers, Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson, and uh, Western Michigan edge Marshawn. Neeland. Um, a couple informal interviews include Florida State edge rusher Jared Verse, Kansas edge Austin Booker, um, Gabriel Murphy, Xavier Thomas, Muhammad Kamara, who played at uh, Colorado State where Shaq Barrett played at, David Uguwegbu, and uh, UConn edge rusher Eric Watts. Who I enjoyed speaking with him today. He was uh, quite vocal and uh, very interesting to speak with. But uh, let's talk about some of the formal interview guys, Josh. Uh, starting with. Latu now obviously we saw him at the senior bowl Uh, he comes from UCLA like we just mentioned obviously very very quick but I just I can't get out of my head I'm curious to get your opinion about this because I haven't really discussed it with you Uh, there's obviously a lot of talent there the speed I mentioned pretty lanky had a good swim move especially at the senior bowl Um, but I look at him And he's kind of a string bean to me (laughs) when I see him, and I don't know. I just I I do wonder going up against like a bigger sized offensive tackle if uh, you know if if a couple of the initial moves don't work out if he can kind of hold his own against those guys.
1: Yeah, I want to say he weighed in around what was it two sixty at the senior bowl, so he certainly has the the size overall. I think. That string bean look comes from because he is a bit on the longer side, especially with his arms, Um, but he plays with a decent amount, I'd say a good amount of speed to power, and he Mm. plays with enough strength and anchor that I don't think that that would necessarily be an issue at the the next level. What I think is going to be very interesting, and it's a piece of information that I won't say unfortunately, but the media doesn't really get a look at medicals. And I think that that's really the big thing that's going to, be the difference between whether Latu will be there at 26 when the bucks are, yeah. are picking or not if his medicals completely check out and if i remember correctly he even said that no team has really asked him about his injury history mm-hmm. because if i remember like he actually had to retire at one point in his yeah, college career pretty, pretty wild uh, right? due to injuries but came back and he's had two really good years uh, under his belt without any injury is- issues but if those medicals check out, I don't see him falling to 26. He may not even be an option for the Bucks. Now, if there are some red flags, that could cause his draft stock within the league to fall. And then he would be there for, the, for Tampa Bay to decide whether at pick 26, are those injury risks worth it for the talent that they're getting? Because he was an extremely productive edge rusher at UCLA. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no question about it. And to his credit, he did do very, very well. Um, at the senior ball we wrote about him a, a fair amount during that time as well uh, another guy that has kind of fluctuated up and down <laughs> the uh, the rounds and, and the first round as well is uh, chop robinson and i know i've heard you speak about him you are not the biggest fan uh, of chop
1: yeah not not that i you know think that he's terrible or anything like that. He's just not going to be awful. Yeah, just awful. That's exactly what it is. No, um, I don't think he's going to be quite as high on my my draft board as maybe some other ones out there. And as a matter of fact, out of the two Penn State edge rushers who had formals, I think I'm leaning, I, I'd have to recheck my board, but I may have Adisa Isaac ahead of him. Um, Chop has a ton of, of, he's a real high motor ton of burst he plays yes. with his, his hair on fire. I just don't know if the ceiling is quite there to where, if he doesn't absolutely get to that ceiling or say like a 90th percentile outcome for his um, talent level, that he's going to be that impactful edge where I think there are a lot of other guys, Adiza Isaac included, where just their physical traits give them a much higher ceiling, which means they don't have to necessarily come as close to maxing out their potential to be as, productive as chop and that's that's my opinion there
2: yeah and the the, the scattering report on him the the first thing that kind of everyone points to is the uh, the crazy amount of athleticism that he has and you know that that's always fun to see but that doesn't necessarily kind of paint the whole picture for um, certain edge rushers for sure um guy was a guy that um i think had a good combo of having a high motor for sure, but was also kind of like built and, and chiseled the right way. So I, I think for him, it's going to kind of come down to, uh, you know, just the, the the fundamentals more than anything else. And it's funny because I was talking to Chop Robinson today, and he said that the Buccaneers were the first team that, <laughs> that he spoke to at the, at the combine this, um, this week. And, you know, we, we were talking earlier about uh, also with, Fox Sports' uh, Greg Allman covers the NFC South. We were kind of talking about and joking somewhat about the pipeline that the Bucs have to certain schools with Auburn, for sure, yep. with Washington, absolutely, absolutely. over the uh, Jinx, Josh, <laughs> uh, over the, the past couple of seasons. But let's not forget that Penn State was a, a bit of a, a pipeline for the Buccaneers for a little bit as well. I mean, Chris Godwin is still there. Donovan Smith was drafted. Um, the Bucs did not draft Carl Nassib, but brought in Carl Nassib and ended up being a uh, team captain for the Buccaneers. So um, definitely a school. And it's not like Jason Light's going, oh my God, Penn State, like we have to put them on our radar, and put them on our uh, draft board. But it, it is funny kind of seeing those similarities from time to time and at certain positions. Um, the other formal interview with the Buccaneers, again, from Western Western Michigan, was edge rusher Marshawn Nealand. Uh, what do you know about him? Anything particular that you're a fan of or not a fan? of?
1: Yeah, so I got to talk to him and, and I will say, I think Neeland is somebody that Bucks fans really need to put on their radar. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the, the formal interview, but he really showed out at the Senior Bowl. He kind of put himself on the map there. He's three. I want to say he's like over t- 268, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so he's big. He starts with power and he works off of it. And he has flashed or shown sustained ability to do almost every type of pass rush move you would want. So he can run a spin. He can uh, hit the corner on, on sorry, with bend. Um, he will do a cross chop. He loves to do a push pull. So he loves to dictate terms to hmm. offensive linemen. Um, he's a good run defender. Western Michigan used him in a lot of ways that Todd Bowles is probably looking at and saying, we do that, we do that. They stood him up in the A gaps And he's a physical presence. And then he's also a presence in the interview room. So like when I got to talk to him, he's very engaging. He's very charismatic. You can tell he's got a lot of confidence without being too brash that you're like, I don't want to be around this guy. He just, he knows himself. He's very genuine. Um, And I think that that would shine through in a formal interview that he had with the Bucks and probably with a lot of teams.
2: Yeah. We've seen in the past, these informal for, interviews and informal and just really just putting your face in front of uh the coaching staffs and front offices um sometimes not with every player but sometimes that makes or breaks a talent um who's the guy from florida polite i believe his last name was he was a guy that had like terrible interviews with uh with the coaching staff so lo and behold the jets drafted him and it never worked out so you know just certain things um can really make a big difference. Let's get back to the super chats. Thanks to Paul Bowen for this 499 super chat. Who says, do y'all think we could get one of the free agent running backs like Derek Henry or Saquon Barkley would be nice to pair with white uh, with one of those big guys. Um, Jason, like kind of spelled it yesterday when it comes to just free agency in general, as Bailey Adams is giving a thumbs down. Um, <laughs> This free agency, it's actually a question that you asked, Josh, yesterday to Jason Light. It was a wonderful question and probably an even better response was, "What was the, what is the strength of the free agent class? Because right. a lot of times GMs will get asked, like, what's the strength of a position group in the NFL draft? So I like the little, little take on it, looking at free agency. And Jason's response, and I'm obviously not going verbatim here, given the spark notes, you can read the article on PewReport.com is um, that they're going to be focusing on just re-signing their own guys. So we talked a ton about Baker and Mike Evans and Antoine Winfield Jr. The list goes on and on and on, except for Devin White. Um, So with their focus on just re-signing their own guys, Chase Edmonds might be one of those re-signings, because obviously he comes on the cheap and, and is way less inexpensive. But as far as the star players like Derrick Henry, who I would not even think about going near um, and Saquon, who's going to be way too much money. I think that's just a little bit out of the price range for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, but we do have another super chat, which kind of leads us perfectly into our roll call as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Buck Spaceman with a $2 super chat. Thank you. Says, this team can do better than the 26th ranked head coach. So, yeah, there's a big story that came out today. Uh, anonymous polls by... Every team across the league about facilities, the coach, um, a, a number of different topics. And on Roll Call today, you know what? Let's put up that graphic. That's right. It's time for Roll Call. Where are you at, Peter people? For those that are new to Roll Call, the way that this works is, you should do it on Mondays, but a different week. So we're going to do it today. Uh, Josh is about to go on a rant about your Buccaneers, with this one being about the uh, the grades that came out for the Bucks in their facility, and while Josh is talking about your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if you want to start putting in the loca- uh, putting in the chat, the location of where you're watching the show from, we will put it up on the screen and give a shout out to a bunch of our fans because we love the Peter people. We love interacting with everybody. So, without further ado, Josh, take it away.
1: Yeah. So the NFL Players Association does an anonymous survey of players across the NFL every year. It's usually done at the beginning of the season. And what they're doing is they ask the players to rank, not rank, but to give a letter grade to their own team that they play for in 11 different areas. This is treatment of families, food and cafeteria, nutritionist and dietitian, locker room, training room, training staff, weight room, strength coaches, team travel, head coach, and ownership. And based on those respondents, and this year they got 1,706 respondents, so it's a large sample size. They give out team report cards. Well, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they placed 24th overall. Now, there were 100 NFL teams, that'd be a pretty good ranking. (laughs) There are only 32 teams, so they finished just outside of the bottom quarter of the league. And that, honestly, for an organization that, that wants to be great, that's not great. It's just not. And three areas in particular they ranked really bad in. Um, treatment of families was an F. That's unacceptable. Yeah, It's just the, wor- the best word that you can say. Unacceptable. Team travel, they another F, 32nd overall, They were the worst team in terms of how their players viewed the way they handled team travel in the entire league. And then ownership got a D minus 29th overall. Now, some of the things that the team that the players mentioned gave them these low grades. Um, as far as the treatment of families, they don't have, or at least at the beginning of the year, they did not have a family room to provide to families to hang out in during games and practices and things like that. It's an easy fix and one that they can certainly afford being a part of a multi-billion dollar industry. And how's this? For a family that is worth billions, that owns a team that is worth billions, they charge their, their players $90 per child for daycare on game day. That's just ridiculous. That is a cost of doing business. That is a the cost of being a good organization. It's just unacceptable. Um, the next one where they, they ranked really low on was um, ownership. And that really came down to a perception from the play- the players. They don't feel that club owner Joel Glazer um, is willing to invest in the team facilities. And that's why they got a D minus, which was 29th overall. Um, and then for team travel, this is a team that puts their players in the back of the plane in the smaller seats. These are typically bigger people. While the... Uh, <laughs> Well, the, the, the team staff ends up at the front in the first class, uh, areas. Um, and then if you are not a starter and you have less than four years of playing time, the team's going to charge you $1,750. If you want your own room, when you're traveling, these, this is cheaping out on very small things that can just make your players feel better about the trials and tribulations of going through a very long season. So it's, ridiculous it's easily fixable it's something that the team should look at they should listen to their players Mm -hmm. and they should make some upgrades
2: yeah so a couple of things to consider though um the chiefs also got uh, i think they got an f as well yeah as he says didn't clark hunt he absolutely get get an f minus which you know is interesting obviously this is a team that's built success over uh the past couple seasons including going back to back uh, as Super Bowl champions, also Jordana Barrett, the wife of Shaq Barrett, um, clearly did not have to go out of her way to support the Bucks, especially after they just released Shaq Barrett. But she um, had a comment that uh, she said she also filled out the survey. The, the survey and was very surprised by some of the grades that the Bucks got, because she said that they have treated them with nothing but you know kindness and and exceptional quality. So. Um, just a couple of things to take in mind. This is anonymous. Uh, would be curious to see some of the other Bucks players opinions about it. And that's also why I didn't go to the NFL was for the, the child care. And that is the, true for my fictional children. And,
1: and I think the important thing here and, and we're going to do a little line switch here, yeah. but I'll finish up with I'm not saying these correlate to success. Obviously, the Chiefs rankings show that that's not the case. Um, there's a much higher correlation between the skill of your quarterback and success than necessarily providing free daycare. Yeah. This is something that every NFL team should do and many aren't the Bucks included and it needs to change.
2: One thing that doesn't need to change though is the greatness of Celsius energy drinks, which is the official energy drink of the Peter Report podcast. Uh, we got to talk about their newest flavor of Celsius, which is the uh, Celsius essentials, their newest line, I should say. It's over 270 milligrams of caffeine. So we're talking about the Tall Boys that Celsius is bringing. They got great flavors like the Blue Crush and the Dragonberry. So whether it's the Celsius Essentials or maybe some of the old school flavors of Celsius, the Sparkling Watermelon, Fuji Apple Pear, and the Tropical Vibe, the Sparkling Orange, the Sparkling Watermelon. If you need to know where to find a Celsius energy drink, that's when you uh, punch in your location on the store locator for Celsius. And I'll tell you the closest place where you can find a Celsius energy drink. We're doing it right now in Indianapolis at the Combine. Could be a local convenience store, a 7-Eleven, a health and fitness store, or it could just be your bodega. Bodega. And once you keep going to your bodega and you're like, I really enjoy this, but I want more. I want to get it in bulk. You can get it in bulk. Um, Go to Amazon. Get that variety pack, because Variety is Spice of Life, and you can have it sent to your place of residence. Really, whenever you want, you're in charge. You're the captain now. Just make sure you're drinking Celsius energy drinks. Make Celsius your number one pick. Celsius, the official energy drink Energy drink of PewterReport.com. All right, joining the show now is going to be
4: Scott Reynolds and Adam Sly Slavon. What's up, Pewter people? Well, this was an interesting day, because... Uh, you saw on the graphic that when you look at, at Darius Robinson, he's a, a player that certainly would would seem to fit what the Buccaneers want to do yeah. in terms of, of being a, a defensive end um, with some size, with some athletic ability. We'll see exactly how athletic he is tomorrow during the actual combine testing. Today was just for interviews with the media, and they did those interviews with the the teams last night. But interestingly enough, Darius Robinson was not one of those players that were interviewed. I asked him specifically if he interviewed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, either as a formal or an informal. And you would think that with a great showing at the Senior Bowl and the damage that he did against Kentucky with two sacks of Devin Leary there, that Liam Cohen would know this guy pretty intimately. Uh, But no interview at all. And you can read the tracker that we posted in the Pewter Reports uh, TV comments here on a Pewter Report podcast. So you can check out those comments there, but this is a a, a big, massive six foot five guy, two hundred about ninety pounds, great athleticism, chiseled physique. Yeah, um, really had a similar track to Yaya Diaby in, in, in having a breakout year during his senior year. Slide, yeah, definitely. And it, it is
0: surprising because you look at Darius Robinson and you can see the talent; it's on display. Uh, we saw it at the Senior Bowl, and it's interesting. It makes you kind of wonder do the Bucs, are they prioritizing getting an outside linebacker over maybe somebody that profiles more as a defensive lineman? And if that's the case, do they not want to invest a first-round pick in another defensive lineman, having taken Kalijah Kansi last year, Logan Hall the year before? Are their eyes maybe more on replacing Shaq Barrett and getting that premium pass rusher?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. The interesting thing, too, is remember there was a guy named Kalijah Kansi out of Pittsburgh who – shh, kept everything quiet with the Buccaneers. No interviews at the Combine with Kalaja Kansi for Tampa Bay. No top 30 visit, yet he was their first-round pick. So maybe the Buccaneers are going to be down low and incognito again this year and go with a guy like Darius Robinson, who did not interview with with the Buccaneers at the Combine, and we'll see if he goes on a top 30 visit. But he does seem to fit – when you look at at the the athletic linemen that the Buccaneers have drafted, the dating back to Joe Trine, Shuinka, Logan Hall, Kalaja Kansi, Yaya Diaby, those are some guys that that really have the speed, the power. And I think Darius Robbins is going to show that this week when it comes to the NFL scouting combine testing. And, and we'll see if that's the case. And we'll see if this is a smoke screen, like it was yeah. with, with Kalaja Kansi. Yeah,
0: for sure. Uh, One guy I really want to talk about, uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, Liotu Latu, uh, the UCLA edge rusher, and had a chance to ask him today if he formally met with the Bucs, which he did. And the production is off the charts. The past two years at UCLA, he had 23 and a half sacks, five forced fumbles, even added two interceptions last year. And even though he's 260 pounds, I think he has really good bend. And he also, he'd be another Washington Husky that would join the Buccaneers. Uh, He played with Kate Otten and Joe Tryonchenka in 2019. And he mentioned JTS a couple of times uh, when I was talking to him and how he was his boy uh, in Washington (laughs) and also his big bro. And it would be inspiring to play alongside him. Do you think, Scott, that Latu is someone that would fall to 26, maybe based on his medicals? And
4: how do you see him maybe fitting in with the box? I think the only way he falls is if for some reason he doesn't test well athletically. If he's just a production guy more on effort and, and technique and skill rather than pure athleticism. So I, I wouldn't necessarily rule it out, especially since he has a medical issue too. Now the, the problem with that medical issue, that's not a problem for him is he had two very healthy seasons yeah. at UCLA. But as was mentioned earlier on the podcast, he basically had to retire um, and, and he finally found the team that would clear him medically. And so he went ahead and, and did that and transferred from Washington where he suffered a neck injury and basically played 2019 and then did not play in 2020 or 2021, Oof. went to UCLA and started those last two seasons. As you mentioned, 10 and a half sacks during his junior season and then his senior season last year, just a, a menace out there in the Pac-12 with with 13 sacks. So a double-digit sacker, typically uh, with with the the production that he has against quality opponents. These are guys that you know he's he's chasing after Bo Nix, Michael Penix, for yep. example, going up against some really good Pac-12 teams. The Pac-12 is now defunct, but man, it went out with the bang because this was yeah, a definitely. really good conference last year. Utah in the mix. Uh, you know, Colorado had a little bit of a resurgence with with Deion Sanders. Now they're in the the Big 12, but for the the last hurrah, uh, it was Leatu Latu's season out there, man. He had a really good year. He's a player that if you're Tampa Bay, if he checks out medically, checks out athletically and happens to fall there at 26, I don't think he's going to, but he he certainly would be a really good option. Uh, One of the players that we had in our mock draft with uh, going to the Buccaneers in the second round was Adisa Isaac, and he did in fact meet with the Buccaneers as an, a formal visit, um, I like Isaac's production, and, and I like him better than Chop Robinson, who also met with the Buccaneers from a formal perspective. The, the thing with Isaac, the seven and a half sacks, the sixteen tackles for loss, he's a finisher, and I think that's that's probably the one biggest difference I saw on tape between Chop Robinson, who might even be a bit better athletically, yeah, than than Adisa Isaac, but Adisa Isaac is no slouch. The get off is there, the burst. Um, I think that he is a more physical tackler. I think he's a more explosive player in terms of his power, speed, power. And he's a finisher. I just saw too many instances where Chuck Robinson had the opportunities for sacks, had the opportunities for tackles for loss, and fell off. And that was exactly the terminology that Todd Bowles used in in the clip that Matt played earlier, I believe, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, where he said, we had guys there with our four-man rush, Mm -hmm. but – they fell off, meaning they had the sack there, and it didn't happen. And who could he be talking about? Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> Joe Trynshewinka, right? Yeah. So I don't think they want to go down that road of drafting an athlete that that uh, is that plays football. I think they're looking for a football player, and this is a guy that that didn't have the acclaim and the hype that uh, that Chop Robinson had. Uh, you know, last year, uh, heading into last season, but he outperformed in terms of tackles for loss and sacks. He was more of a playmaker, and I think that he's someone in the mix for the Buccaneers. Uh, I we had a chance to to talk with with uh, Chris Braswell, and if you remember, he was the first round draft pick in our initial mock back in January. The Alabama star, the just turned behind Dallas Turner, yep, and some guy named Will Anderson Jr. I
0: hmm. <laughs> uh, wanted to say one more thing on Isaac. You mentioned yeah. him. And he's a more realistic option for the Bucs because you look at guys like Jared Verse, Dallas Turner, uh, even Latu. Those guys probably aren't going to be on the board at 26. Maybe even Chop Robinson's gone. But with Isaac, he looks like a realistic option. If not in the first round, maybe they trade back. Maybe he's a guy on the board in the second round. And same thing with Braswell. Even though we had him in the mock draft in the first round. At this point, kind of more of a second-round guy. But he did mention that he also spoke with the Bucs. He didn't say whether it was formal or informal. But just based on the pedigree of playing at Alabama under Nick Saban, playing alongside some of the most premier pass-rushing prospects that have come out in the NFL in the past couple of seasons, there's a lot to like with Braswell, and he has
4: the production to match. Yeah, he does. He didn't wow me at the Senior Bowl. I thought he would show a little bit better there than than he did. But um, I will say... Uh, Adisa Isaac, I thought, uh, had had his moments there, and, and probably outshined him a little bit. But Braswell and Adisa Isaac are going to be there. They're going to be options for the Buccaneers at twenty-six. or if this team decides to trade down or out of the first round and into the second round, that would certainly be a possibility. There, it was interesting to note when you look at the combine interviews today, and uh, the guys talked about the edge rushers a little bit. There were there were four guys that had formal interviews and maybe it was five. Chris Braswell wasn't sure if, if he had an informal or a formal, so we're not going to call it a formal because we just don't know the answer to that question, but there were a couple of other players that, that did have um, formal interviews with the Buccaneers, and there were four defensive tackles. Now, yeah. this is a pretty deep defensive tackle draft. It's not crazy good. There are some really good players that will be drafted in the first round. The Buccaneers, though, with Goliath Cansey, with Vea with Logan Hall trying to still squeeze the production out of their top pick at the top of the second round in the 2022 draft. I don't see them using a premium pick on a defensive tackle, but there are a couple of things to consider. Yeah, Hall really has not blossomed yet. He hasn't lived up to that high draft pick uh, billing. And then Will Golston probably won't be back at age 32. Greg Gaines is a free agent. I I thought he played well, but there's no uh, certainty that he comes back. But um, Vita Vea... Still a really good player. Yep. Keeps advancing in age, though, and that's a position that I don't think that you you, you want to have uh, you know lacking talent. And and I, I, there's a couple guys that that were mentioned. Brand, uh, Braden Fisk from Florida State's one of those guys that had a formal interview. And there's a couple other guys as well. Uh, any of these guys, uh, you know, uh, strike you as as a Buccaneer fit? For me,
0: uh, Brayden Fisk, he fits the bill and being a leader. uh, That was something that Jared Verse said today. And you see it on tape. He is a very physical player up front. I think that he would be a great fit. Uh, Someone I'm curious about and looking forward to watching more film of of is uh, Chris Jenkins. Yeah, Uh, I think he could be another really good
4: fit. Uh, What are your thoughts on that, Scott? Yeah, I think the thing with Chris Jenkins uh, is he's a Michigan Wolverine. So that's certainly going to appeal to a certain John Spitek, who also is a Wolverine. Um, But all biases aside, uh, I'm not sure if if Jenkins uh, is going to be there. I, I think that he has a shot at being a late first, early second round pick. And by the time Tampa Bay gets on the clock at the end of the second round or near the end, I think Jenkins might be gone by then. But there's a couple other guys, though, that they did an interview that at least they'll have a shot at getting in the second or third round. I'm not advocating the Buccaneers drafting a defensive tackle in the second round. But sometimes the best player available wins out. And uh, this is a, a position, too, that when Kalajikansi was, was injured uh, at the beginning of the season, it slowed down his development, et cetera. Um, you know, Vita Vea has missed some time, although he was healthier last year than he has been in years past. But you have to win in the trenches. So restocking and reloading defensive tackle, interior offensive line. I've got no problems with that at any point in time in the draft. But there's a couple of players that really piqued my interest, aside from Braden Fisk and Chris Jenkins. Th- these two guys got formal interviews. Uh, Rook, Aurora, <laughs> and I know that sounds like Scooby Doo, but it's it's Aurora that, that is his name. That's how you pronounce it. I wrote it up. Yeah, <laughs> Rook. Uh, but he's he's hell on wheels, man. This is a, a player that is uh, very quick, agile, strong. And the thing I like about him that, that when I looked at some tape on him today, the change of direction ability, the, the agility, the once you get upfield and if you get run past the quarterback, can you put your foot in the ground, wheel around, turn the corner at full speed and, and stay in pursuit? that was really the biggest knockout in Gerald McCoy, Yeah, is if he went by the the quarterback, it's over for him. He does not have the ability to redirect, and that's what made Warren Sapp so special. That agility to be able to redirect at a moment's notice. The play is not dead. He is still in pursuit and can make those plays. Um, I'm not saying this guy is anywhere close to Warren Sapp by any means, but what I will say is he certainly uh, is a player that I think could be uh, a third or fourth round draft pick option. The other guy that was I'm kind of new to a little bit, McKinley Jackson from Texas A&M. Big guy, 333 pounds, uh, but very agile for his size. Uh, probably, again, a mid-round draft pick looking third, fourth, fifth round. But that's probably where this team would want to draft the defensive lineman yep. rather than doing it in, with those premium picks. And it's interesting with Jackson
0: being 333 pounds, the Bucks, with their uh, top picks the past two seasons, they've trended towards getting more athletic defensive yeah. linemen, guys who are less than 300 pounds and have that ability, like you said, to redirect and get after the quarterback. Uh, kind of switching the tempo, talking about inside linebackers who can maybe get after the quarterback. Uh, they were also there at the NFL Combine today. Uh, one guy that I spoke with was Cedric Gray, someone that we saw at the senior bowl and talking with him, it sounds like he really wants to play with Levante David. He said that David is a legend in the game and based on Todd Bowles and Jason lights comments about Devin white being all but gone, Cedric Gray could be somebody maybe in like round three or four yeah. kind of along the lines of a defensive lineman, maybe not the most pressing need, but you want to address it sooner rather than later. And, Adding somebody else into the mix along with Servassier Dennis and
4: KJ Britt that can maybe come in and be a starter. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there was a couple of players, uh, at inside linebacker that the Buccaneers did have those formal interviews with. And again, we put the, the list of all of the players that interviewed in the chat so you can check that out. It's also on pewterreport.com. It's our Bucks 2024 combine tracker, combine interview tracker, and it's been updated. So you can check that out every day because tomorrow we've got a, a really good show for you as well, where we're going to be focused on the players they're going to be talking about. And of course that is safeties, cornerbacks, and tight ends. That's right. The Buccaneers. Well, you got an Auburn tiger there. Why not? Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> it's worked so, out. Jalen Simpson, you, he really caught your eye at, um, at yep. the, the senior bowl. Yeah. And his ability to
0: other, uh, I remember there was one play the ball was near the ground, he made like a shoestring catch and just his ability to have concentration. And he also sounds like a Todd Bowles defensive back with a high football IQ, the ability to communicate, and having kind of the production at Auburn to back it up. So, I mean, DBs could be another uh, case. Carlton Davis, another uh, Auburn guy, he might yeah. be on his way out. So why not replace him with another Auburn defensive back? And then yeah. as well as that tight ends, I know your boy, uh, Ben Sinnott,
4: That's right, he's going to be there, so... That's going to be the show tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Jalen Simpson, by the way, four interceptions last year at Auburn, including a pick six. He also had um, a total of 14 career pass breakups, but seven career interceptions. Jalen Simpson, we've seen that pipeline at Auburn with KJ Britt, Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis. Could uh, uh, Jalen Simpson be the next guy? We'll also talk about the tight ends. So cornerbacks, safeties, tight ends tomorrow at 4 o'clock here on the Peter Report podcast, as well as the latest Bucks news, of course. So we're, we're still keeping an eye on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and still have a lot of great content about the Buccaneers. I know some of you might not be huge draft nicks, You're like, I'll dial into these players once they're actually Tampa Bay Buccaneers in, in late April, once they're drafted, and that's fine. But we're going to have a mix of, of draft content and Bucks content this week, all week long on peterreport.com. So there's something for everybody as the podcast rolls on here. The other players that, that they had a chance to, to interview uh, formally at the linebacker position, um, Nathaniel Watson. This is a really interesting guy. Stat sheet stuffer. Stat sheet <laughs> stuffer, yes. Uh, he certainly has the tackle totals. He's got the sacks. He fits the bill. On paper, when it comes to what Todd Bowles likes to do, you look at the fact that he had six sacks in 2022 and 10 sacks in 2023, and you might think, "Wow, okay, this is a this is a Cervasio Dennis kind of guy, yeah. Blitzer, you know, a guy that, that's that's he's a bigger linebacker, probably is going to check in around 245 pounds, six two, more in that JJ." Russell, actually more like KJ Britt probably, even bigger, right? A bigger linebacker. But here's kind of the damning thing about him. He had 137 tackles this year during his senior season. Sounds great. That's a great number. He had 35 solo tackles. So out of those 137, 35 were solo. How many assists? 102. That's right, 102. 102. So not exactly the guy that takes on the play kind of finishes it, but, you know, he's not really the starter. At
0: 245 pounds, you don't want to see your linebacker assisting on tackles. You want to see him like being a thumper. Absolutely. Bringing that power. So that is a concern, but 10
4: sacks, I mean, you take that from inside linebacker, that's like edge production. Yeah, it really is. So, I mean, if you're looking for a guy to replace Devin White and do what White did best, which is go downhill, uh, this might be the guy. But I think K.J. Britt can do that. I think K.J. Britt is a downhill guy. I really think they need more of a cover guy, and that's why I think Cedric Gray from North Carolina might be a better fit out of some of these players that interviewed. The other player that interviewed uh, is Michigan inside linebacker Junior Colson. Uh, those three players, Colson, Watson, and Gray, got the formal interviews. There's several players you can look at the list, a couple guys that stand out to me. Texas A&M inside linebacker, Adrian Cooper. Um, Michael Barrett, Michigan linebacker from Tampa. And uh, Peyton Wilson from North Carolina State, who if he checks out medically, he really fits that profile. The guy can cover, he can sack the quarterback on blitzes, and man, he is blazing fast. I'd argue that if you disregard his
0: medical history, that's the best linebacker prospect in the NFL draft this year. Uh, Just his size, his speed. The comparison to uh, – he sees himself kind of modeling Luke Keekly, and you can yeah. kind of see that a little bit in this game. And Peyton Wilson, I know you talked to him extensively at the yeah. Senior Bowl. He really was a stud throughout the week, and he's just blazing quick. He's faster than some of the wide receivers that were there. I think he was at like 22 miles per hour based yeah. on the tracking.
4: So really excited to see him and how he does this week. I agree, and I think, too, he's a guy that athletically looks the part. I think he's going to kill it in terms of the 40-yard dash and some of these – these athletic events, it's just going to be the medical with him. Yeah, If he gets a clean bill of health, he's had shoulder injuries, he's had two ACLs. Um, You never want to see a linebacker with shoulder injuries, right, Uh, especially when it caused him to miss most of one of his seasons. I think it was junior season. Now, he had a bounce-back senior season, was phenomenal. Checked all the boxes statistically. But how bad is the shoulder injury? Um, Shoulder injuries and linebackers don't make for long. Uh, healthy careers they make for for injury riddled careers unfortunately Uh, but this Peyton Wilson guy he's he's somebody to watch maybe for Tampa Bay Um, but again the Buccaneers though they're losing Devin White they want another body they have Cervasi Dennis in the hopper yep I think KJ Britt is the starter right now penciled in next to Levante David assuming Levante comes back and you have J.J. Russell in the hopper so uh, it's not like the cupboard is bare there. Yeah, And I like what I saw from K.J. Britt and J.J. Russell down the stretch last year. Yeah, for sure. I thought K.J.
0: Britt did better than pretty much anyone thought. And he was an upgrade over Devin White after Devin White got benched. And then also J.J. Russell. I thought he had a really great preseason. And then he backed that up. Uh, he started a game and even got a sack. So he kind of has that all-around versatility uh, at the inside linebacker position. And then Servasier Dennis as well. You mentioned He also got most of the snaps in one of the games, and he fared quite well. I remember there was one play, it was like a fourth and one. Mm -hmm. Everybody read the blitz
4: wrong but him, and he was the one that was able to go downfield and get the tackle. That's right. We have a super chat here. Sorry for getting to it late from Tate Miller, 499. We appreciate that very much. Would Audric Estime be a fit for the Bucs offense? That's the Notre Dame running back, Uh, kind of a big back. And uh, I had a chance to talk to to one of the, the Notre Dame linebackers today about him. And he was pretty enthusiastic. He said, "This guy uh, is is a load, but but also has, has some some really good speed. He's a player that has always been fast, that just kind of kept gaining some some size and some weight. If you like Legarrette Blunt, you might like like uh, Audric Estime. This guy likes to hurdle people, and he's pretty good at it. Um, you can't watch the highlight reels without seeing about three or four hurdles in there. And that takes a pretty athletic dude." Um, as a bigger body to yeah. be able to, to, to do that. So it speaks to that athleticism. Like all running backs, the 40-yard dash time will be indicative of where he's going to get drafted. But as we've seen in the past, it's not about the 40 time when it comes to running backs, because you're not going to have those 50, 60, 70-yard breakaway runs. You're not going to have those huge alleyways with, with the, the, the the wide side of the field in college football. Yeah. There really isn't that wide side of the field in the NFL. The hash marks are more towards the middle of the field. So what does that mean? That means you got to be able to slip tackles and break tackles. And so tackle breaking, um, elusiveness, short area quickness, agility, strength, good stiff arm. Those are more important than breakaway speed when it comes to NFL running backs. Yeah, and I think you've seen that in the NFL in recent years with Derrick Henry. Not
0: yeah. somebody known for blazing speed, but hey, he's going to make you miss. He's going to make five guys miss. And when you or talk, run you over. Yeah, he's going to make you run. He's going to run you over or use a stiff arm. And I like the LeGarrette, uh throwback uh, for Bucks fans. Yeah. And I think a power back is the guy that the Bucks should target, whether it was a guy mentioned or somebody like Braylon Allen, like just that downfield thumper, kind of like inside line linebacker position. You need yeah. that thumper in the running back room. It may be Sean Tucker if he continues to develop in his second season, but man, and the, uh, in this draft class, there are some
4: options at yeah. the running back position. I, I love being some big backs, man. I mean, growing up, um, I, I was first as a young child of Washington Redskins fan. John Riggins was yep. one of my idols, uh, the Diesel. Uh, then I moved to Kansas City, where you had the Nigerian Nightmare, Christian Okoye, one of the biggest running backs of all time. So I, I love big running backs. Then I come to Tampa. I'm down here a year in 1995. All of a sudden, 1996, in the second round, they draft this kid out of Purdue. What was his name? Mike Allstott. Ooh, yeah. The A-Train. Yeah, another big back. So uh, then you replace Mike Allstott a couple of years later. You get uh, Leonard um, – or not Leonard Fournette, but um, LeGarrette Blunt. then Leonard Fournette. Um, so I, I like bigger running backs. As long as they can can have that elusiveness and tackle-breaking tackle ability. Sometimes those bigger backs, they, they present themselves as bigger targets, easier yep. to tackle as a result and sometimes more prone to injury, but uh, Audrey Gestime is is legit. I, I like him. I think he's a really good back. Um, Ray Davis, I know, is one of the, the backs that the Buccaneers like from Kentucky. I just don't know with Rashad White having that 990-yard season, 500 yards receiving, um, I know they need another running back, and that's something Todd Bowles has talked about and Jason Light's talked about. But when you look at at bringing back Chase Edvance, I think that might be something they're interested in. Still need another guy. Keyshawn Vaughn is gone, thankfully. (laughs) Sean Tucker, jury's still out for sure. Uh, Didn't really get a big vote of confidence from Jason Light when he was asked about Sean Tucker the other day. Yeah, he said he has to take a big step up. Uh, And he spent most of the season inactive,
0: uh, even spent some time in the practice squad. So he does have another step to take. Obviously, the physical ability – You like to see it at Syracuse. He did really well. And he would have been like a fourth or fifth round draft pick. Yeah, But he didn't really show too much throughout the rookie season and couldn't unseat Keyshawn Vaughn until he was released.
4: I think that with needs on the interior offensive line, with uh, needing another edge rusher, maybe adding another defensive uh, tackle, it seems like that's something they want to do. Maybe getting another inside linebacker somewhere in the middle of the rounds, maybe day three that they go with a day three running back or uh, maybe another undrafted free agent running backs typically just slide down. We've seen the value plummet for a lot of running backs. Uh, a lot of, of the, the running backs uh, that, that the bigger names, I think they're going to have a hard time finding a lot of big money out there. It just doesn't make sense. The Buccaneers, Invested $7 million a year in Leonard Fournette. It was a bad investment. Yeah, And and I, I think that Jason Light has been burned with a couple of big running back contracts. That one and Doug Martin at the very beginning of his career. Uh, I want to say in 2016, a couple of years after he was uh, general manager of the Buccaneers. So I don't think Jason Light wants to to really pay more than what he paid Chase Edmonds last year in free agency. And, um, you know, you've seen him draft running backs mostly in the third round. I know Rojo was a second round pick. but yep. Charles Sims, Rashad White, Keyshawn Vaughn, Thorough I think with more pressing needs, though, it's going to slide those, um, those, those running backs down into day three. Now, you talk about pressing needs, and you
0: mentioned the interior offensive line. So I want to pose this question to yeah. you. Uh, if the Bucks are at 26, right, mm-hmm. and Jackson Powers Johnson or Graham Barton are there, mm-hmm. and then you also have edge rushers, let's say Latu uh, or Dallas Turner or yeah. whoever is there. Which one, which position do you
4: think the Bucs should target with that first-round pick? Looking at what Jason Light has done, I would say he's going to go with the edge rusher. You look at Joe Tryon, Shawinka, and, and, and uh, the fact that, that they they put a first-round draft pick uh, in him. Jason Light has found some success in the second and third rounds with offensive linemen, uh, most notably second-rounders like Donovan Smith, Mark Marpet, Cody Malk as early as last year. Luke Geddike in the second round. Robert Hansey in the third round. Alex Cap in the third round. So I think based upon his draft history, yes. I could see edge rusher first round and then having um, the uh, the second or third rounds be uh, around to get an interior offensive line. I think they're going to go get an offensive lineman in free agency, a value type guy, maybe no more than seven million, $8 million a year, and then draft either a center or guard uh, the opposite right uh, in the draft. And so I I don't think they want to have their interior offensive line be rookie, rookie, second year player, right. Meaning Cody Malk. I think they'd like to have rookie second year player, and then a veteran in the mix, whether it's at left guard or whether it's at center. Yeah, that makes a
0: lot of sense. And uh, looking at free agency, And especially the center position, there are quite a few options for the Bucs to consider. We have guys like Aaron Brewer. uh, Brian Allen was recently released by the Rams. Has that Liam Cohen familiarity? And then Tyler Biadish
4: from uh, the Cowboys. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We'll talk about the offensive line later in the week. Uh, Tomorrow, just a reminder, we've got centers, uh, not centers, cornerbacks, safeties, and tight ends in the mix those are going to be the players on, on uh, tap tomorrow for us to interview. So make sure that you check out Pewter Report podcast tomorrow at 4 o'clock right here on Pewter Report TV. And we also want to let you know that if you are in dire need of a house or maybe you want to sell your house, well, there's one guy that can help you do it. He's got a team of people. Matter of fact, his wife, Caitlin, will help you as well. Eric and Caitlin Gross, the Eric Gross Group, they're the official realtor of Pewter Report. You can check him out on housesinfla.com can also follow them on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Eric Gross Group and also give Eric a call. His number is 513-907-4271. Talk a little draft. Talk some some Tampa Bay football if you want. He's a huge Peter Report reader, and avid fan. And whether it's uh, you're in the market to buy your home uh, or buy a home or sell your home, Eric Gross and the Eric Gross Group. They're the number one traffic for you folks through the official realtor of Pewter Report. Make sure you visit housesinfla.com. You're going to be able to find all of their open houses and their inventory on the website. It's a great website and a fantastic partner here at Pewter Report. Appreciate the contributions today from Adam Slavon and also from Josh Capo. Join now. Uh, one more time by by Matt Matera. Matt, we've had a, a pretty eventful time here. Yes, we have at, sure. uh, at Indianapolis, and and we're getting ready to to embark on yet another show tomorrow, talking about some defensive backs and some tight ends. Yeah,
2: going to be a uh, a really fun time. Obviously, uh, tight end is a position that Todd Bowles and Jason Light both spoke about. I think we're both in agreement. Could use a little tweak or adjustment there. We'll come through the draft. Will it come through free agency, maybe finding a veteran that might have a little familiarity with Liam Cohen. Yeah. Um, that remains to be seen. So, uh, make sure, make sure you check out all of our work at pewterreport.com. We got some uh, great videos about uh, certain defensive tackles from today, giving shout outs to both current and former Buccaneers. Yeah. You can check out our YouTube as well, where you can find uh, that content that will be posted shortly um, after this podcast. So, Make sure you follow us on all of our social media on X, Instagram, Facebook, and threads at Pewter Report, and then our YouTube channel, of course, Pewter Report TV. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and when this episode is done, leave a comment in it after. It helps with our algorithm. Could be anything. I like this draft pick. Bucks should take this prospect, or simply go Bucks uh, works as well. So still a lot of great stuff to see from the combine. Pewter Report has it all covered for all the positions, who we think is a fit for the Buccaneers, and a lot of great stuff in between. So for all the Pewter Report staff, for Scott Reynolds, I'm Matt Matera saying thanks everybody for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast.